All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ray Carr, and we are here at Gunzelman's Tavern at 21490 Lorraine Road in Fairview Park, Ohio. This is a trial or a, I can pilot podcast. We were calling it worse to first. I don't know what we're going to call it, but... Uh, I my, believe it's going to stay the same, yeah. Is it going to stay the same? Jeremy, let's, uh, you can introduce yourself and uh, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, wh- where you are, where you come from, and all that good stuff. Uh, my name is Jeremy Demery. I was born in Los Angeles, California. Uh, I've grown up here in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I've been living here since I was like three years old. Uh, I am the owner and operator of Golden Ox Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, in the Tremont area. Uh, we specialize in podcasting. What makes, it's a good question, I, I was always wondering about, what makes a good podcast, and how do you define a podcast? Uh, a podcast is a uh, internet-streamed platform in which two people are conversing, I guess, is the best way I could put it. Uh, so it's a little bit different than radio, because radio, you get over the radio waves, where a podcast is an internet-stream type deal. Now, there is some sort of radio type shows that can be streamed over the internet but uh, I mean it's neither here nor there right it's interesting to think about how many different podcasts there are there's literally millions uh, it's funny uh, the, it has grown up to like I think 3.1 million different podcasts but if you, in comparatively to like YouTube channels there's like 1.5 billion YouTube channels. So even though it seems like there is a ton of podcasts these days, there's still plenty of room for growth. Yeah. So, well, I guess it depends on what your topic is and how you go about it. Now, here's the other thing: even if you've got a unique topic and you got good people on the podcast, if it isn't heard by people, then it's no good. It's got to be heard by people for it to be worthy. I, I. So we need to differentiate between like. It's not, it's content between uh, exposure. You can have a really great podcast and it could be a ton of fun, yet nobody listens to it because you haven't necessarily communicated what your niche is or what your podcast is about. Uh, typically, podcasts that tend to thrive are podcasts that t- generally have themes. So, like one of mine, of which that I produce, is called Network Special. They're going through Saturday morning made-for-TV, only-meant-to-be-seen-once TV specials. So they highlight those. They talk about them. Uh, I've done podcasts in the past that have been fairly popular where uh, they were chronologically going through each episode of The Twilight Zone, things like that. So they started from... The very first one yeah. from 1959. Right. Um, Where is everybody was the name of that episode. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Yeah, I remember that very well. And I think there was like 152 or 154 episodes. Serling was my hero. I mean, he was the guy that I looked to. Like, nobody could write like him. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just blown away of the moral, the moral implications that you came away from when you watched that. Yeah, what, there's a lot of life lessons to be taken from most episodes, which I think... It's kind of shocking to a lot of us how he kind of, in an esoteric way, held a mirror up to society of his time. Or even to a lot of those things, we were kind of surprised to see how relevant they still are today. Right, exactly. You know, he he was Jewish, and he noticed a lot of, uh, there was at least four episodes about going back into the German concentration camps, or 
dealing with that aspect, which at the time, a lot of people never wanted to talk about. It was a touchy mm -hmm. subject. So he talked about it in such a way where it was like the network allowed it. Yeah, because he wasn't, mo correct me if I'm wrong, but most of those episodes aired during a time where it wasn't prime time. Like people, I think, were just getting, I think they're like just going, it was like past the time where they, they thought like, oh, everyone's in bed by now. So we'll play this thing for whoever's up late night right. can watch this, you know, strange show. And then as things grew and grew and grew for that show, he got better and better timelines or t uh, time slots in which where he could uh, show it to a, a broader audience. Well, as the ratings went higher, CBS gave him more leeway. Yeah. And unfortunately, they ran out of material by 1964, <laughs> and, and it ended. And then he started out doing some another project called the Night Gallery, right? Yeah. And that was uh, from 1969 to 73, which was a very odd show. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. I no, I had not seen it. The pilot episode featured um, the debut of director Steven Spielberg in 1969. He was working with uh, Joan Crawford. Oh, wow. In the, in the pilot episode of that. It was just, it's really, he would walk into an art gallery, there would be a picture there, and he, then the whole episode would revolve around what that picture was. More, more horrifying, more demonic things than the Twilight Zone. I also found it very strange that he, was Roger Sterling in the military? Yes. He served? Okay, yeah. that's what I thought, because uh, a lot of his themes seemed to be revolved around some sort of military, whether it be on this planet or some other planet or right. things like that. So yeah, he he did the he served and he um, also was had a lot of them about boxing. There, there was an episode about boxing where it it not only chronological it, it just gave the the heart of man because they had robots boxing and this guy had a robot Lee Marvin and his that's how he made money. The robot would go into a ring with another robot, and they would all be different. You know, some this robot's a little bit better; it's newer. So his robot was old, but he has to make money. So his robot died. He had to go and pretend he was the robot. He got his brain speed out, but he did it because that's what he had to do to survive. Yeah. So just the will of man to survive—that was the moral of the episode. But it's just great how he's able to tie all that in. And there's yeah. so many good actors that were in and out of there. Yeah, wasn't that um, the guy? Uh, what's his name from Star Trek? His very first yeah. like, Shatner role. Yeah, Shatner. William Shatner was in there for sure. So, what are some of the other great TV shows of that era, um, the '60s and '70s that that you enjoy? Oh man, I don't. I oh that I enjoyed. Yeah. Of that era, like maybe from we're talking 1959 to 1964, or even even to 75. If you had a jump about 20 years. All in the Family was, was that's not until the 80s, though, right? No, that was 1971. 1971. Yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was a legendary Norman Lear production. You know, you had a, a racist, Narchi Bunker, yeah. and, and, a, and a wife like Edith that would do anything to please him, and then the liberal son-in-law. You know, it, it just, how it all came together with the, with the black family living next door, the Jeffersons. Right. How it all kind of made people wake up and understand the racial tensions but they were able to kind of say things we couldn't yeah because I don't think there was generally like the full divide had really separated so far away from each other because that's where we're at now it's just like the, the, the divide's too far away for us to come to a middle ground right now Right. And, and that, it's all pendulum anyway so we'll get to a point where 
because it gets exhausting arguing this much. And I think as a society that we'll get to that point eventually that we'll be so exhausted with one another that we'll just be like, well, let's find common ground. Right. Well, we're going to have to learn to live with each other in yeah. some way or another. I'm trying so hard not to curse. <laughs> yes. Well, we, we don't want to curse because there are... Yeah, this th- isn't my podcast, so... Yes. There could be uh, nuns listening. We don't know that. My name's Ray Carr, and you're listening to Worst of First, the pilot episode of the 2021 edition of this particular podcast. It might change its name. We don't know yet. What, what are some of the, just so I can get familiar with the podcast itself, what are some of the general themes of that you guys talk about? Like, is it about the restaurant? Is it about sports? Is it about Good question. Life? Um, we, we, we mainly do it about sports. We tie the restaurant in, and there's many different things going on within the restaurant. Uh, about alcohol, food, um, and then we get into the Cleveland Browns, which is really the kind of body of the program. You know, everything kind of spins off what the Browns are doing. You know, if they're bad, we sometimes have a few people on that are experts in football, and we throw a round table in there about that. Baseball, a little bit of uh, life in general, some comedy, you know, like we try to lighten things up a little bit. It really depends on what's going on in, in the world of sports. Who's your resident funny man on the, on the well, podcast? You, you certainly could do that, and uh, you're obviously a very funny guy. And let me ask you about that. Where did you learn to be funny? Uh, I learned through, uh, I guess, friends, mostly, because you know, I grew up religious, and a lot of religious kids, when they get together, they're just excited to see one another, especially those who are homeschooled. Any kind of social interaction. Like, I had prepared things to say to my friends when I got, finally got into, like, to a place to see them. And eventually I noticed that those things became like routines, you know? Yeah. So, like, and that's kind of how I kind of learned how the structure of a joke, how to uh, make, find things to make people laugh, uh, even if it's like, if you, even if you're creating the context. Because that's the thing, too. A lot of people think that, oh, like, I'm, I'm the funny person of my friends and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but you're funny to them because you guys all have a set context in which your eyes are all, you're all on board with already. Now, a comedian has to go into a room of strangers and create that context for the room, which is uh, super exciting to do. Well, have you walked into a room before and just, you got a vibe and you thought, this is really gonna be an uphill challenge? Almost always. <laughs> yeah. So, so you have a day that you're not quite as sharp as you normally are. What do you do to, to overcome that? Uh, just try and talk your way through it. Uh, try and bring up your own energy, even if you're not feeling it, because sometimes you don't have the luxury of whether or not it feels right. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Gunzelman's Tavern. For more information, go to gunzelmans.com, or if you'd like to place an ad on this podcast... Go to gunsmans.com and enter the contact us section and please enter your information there. All right, back to the show. And, and when is there an internal clock to let you know that it's time to move on to another joke or, you know, just. You can kind of feel it with the audience that it's time to move on from a particular topic or uh, subject, they'll let you know. Yeah. And if you're smart enough to listen, then you'll move on. Right. Comics that you've admired and why? Oh, boy. Uh, 
George Carlin, Lenny Bruce. Now let me ask you about Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce died in 1966. He was very controversial for the time that he was alive. What about his... Is he any less controversial now, I think? No. I don't think so. But what makes him, to you, um, such a unique influence? Because he died for the sins of all comedians. Uh, Without Lenny Bruce, we wouldn't have the ability of free speech that gets us into trouble that we do today. It's it's both a blessing and a curse. Because we have no one telling us you can't say anything. Yeah. But when you do say things that are offensive, expect the blowback. Granted, he had a he had legal issues. He had legal problems. He had, you know, he had. Uh, he had a drug problem. He also had a drug problem, sure. But despite that, uh, he also had a lot of legal issues because of the words in which, like, I don't, I can't, I. I don't think there's a single bit that I've ever done or can do in the future that would ever get me arrested for just simply upsetting it. Well, the the laws were so different. The obscenity laws were so unique and different back in the early 1960s. Yeah. They really were. Now, you mentioned uh, George Carlin. Yeah. uh, George Carlin, uh, I think... What kind of sets him apart from Lenny Bruce is the fact that George Carlin's words were, even though he was speaking of his time, they were very evergreen. Now, I don't know if it's because he had such a, uh, he had such a broad brush to work with because there wasn't a whole lot of history behind him when it came to stand-up comedy, um, where today there is a a broad, a really like you a have large to, swath yeah, of, of talent that came before. Yeah, so now we have to kind of hone it in. We have to be very specific, very surgical with our comedy because of how great people like Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Uh, and you can't forget about Bill Cosby, although he had many legal issues too. But <laughs> yeah. but he was, you know, the one thing it's it's really odd that Cosby's comedy was so clean, but yet he had so many problems in the other direction. I find that for most comedians. Most comedians who are an asshole on stage are usually the nicest people you've ever met. Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. He's another one. Yeah, another good person. Uh, uh, The guy from Full House. Um, Oh, uh, Bob Saget. Bob Saget. Filthy, filthy man on stage. I've heard him, yeah. Yeah, and in real life, like, he's just a sweetheart, genuine human being. you know, it's funny. I was listening to a, a podcast with um, Howie Mandel on it, and uh, Howie Mandel did this like old, old style joke that I'd never heard before. It was about the clown who goes, to, or about the man who goes to the therapist. The therapist says, "Go see this clown." And he's like, "Go see this therapist." I'm super depressed. He said, "The therapist says, go see this clown," and he goes, "Doc, I am that clown." And I don't know what it was about that story that, like, hit home for me. Like, it was so profound, you know? Like, and who knew, of all people, Howie Mandel is giving me these, like, these, like, uh, these gems of truth and, like, heartfelt moments. <laughs> you, you never know where it's going to come you from. No, you don't. You just and, don't, yeah. Or from whom. Yeah. How about female comedians? I was thinking, uh, well, there, there have been so many good ones. Uh, I'll just throw one that just popped into my head, Elaine Boozler. Oh, yeah, she's very good. I don't know her material as well as I think I should. <laughs> she's kind uh, of more domestic. She 
likes mixed. I don't like pol- political jokes. It's just not my thing, and I and I don't delve into religions. Joe, I don't get off on that either. Mm. So I like to keep everything. I know there is a market for that, but it's something I don't enjoy listening to. Yeah, I guess that's how good way to put it. There is a market for it. Elaine Boozler, though, I, from what I remember of her, she yeah, she was like uh, almost like uh, the anti uh, housewife type deal. Yeah, like uh, I'm not gonna take I'm not gonna take anything from my husband type deal or any guff of him, which I could respect. I like I like that about her. Yeah, there was a, a number of um, Jewish female comedians that came up in the 50s and 60s. Uh, Toadie Fields, one of those. And uh, actually, Charlotte Ray, Mrs. Garrett, on, uh, you know, she was on um, a number of different TV. She was on what? Uh, with Gary Coleman, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, what was the name of that show? I drew a blank. Yeah. Uh, I- yes. Um, but anyway, she was uh, very famous, the, the house mother, you know, with all the girls. She was a comedian when she first started after she got out of Northwestern. Northwestern was also the home of... Uh, she actually grew up and she graduated with Paul Lind, Cloris Leachman. Those three started their comedy careers together. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah, that's crazy. You're like an encyclopedia. Well, it's, I'm a little tired tonight. I should be sharper. But yes, I do remember that stuff. I'm never... I'm, I'm as dull as they come, I'll tell you what. My recall, it's... It's been kind of, it almost feel like a problem lately in my recall. It, get, it gets me nervous. Well, it's like the file cabinet. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're trying to get that door open to get that information in it. <laughs> Some days it just slides open and it pops right out, you know, and then uh, and then sometimes it just doesn't. Yeah. And then you're looking in the file, there's no, no papers there. So it's like you draw a blank. But sometimes, like, you can almost, I can almost anticipate what I'm going to say five minutes from now. I just can feel the momentum going in that direction. So when I've interviewed different people, like Henry Winkler, he was amazing. Some people, you just wind them up and you let them go. Mm-hmm. And, and other people, you have to help them with almost every word. Those are tough interviews. But the really good ones are the ones that you give them the right question and you let them go. They're the stars. I, find, I, generally, I generally find with musicians, it's harder to interview them because they don't really, they're not normally interviewed like right. or used to talking through their thoughts like a comedian or an entertainer, uh, like an actor would. Right. So, you know, they, they tend to peter out pretty quickly. And I do kind of worry that about myself sometimes, even as a comedian, like sometimes I'm just not on board if I'm not interested. So it's kind of like, if I'm interested, then I can go on for days. If I'm not, or not necessarily connecting in which where we want to go, then I'm gonna probably peter out pretty quickly because I'm just not an authority on the on the topic, right. whatever it is. Yeah, it's it's tough to do that. Uh, different strokes and the facts of life from Mrs. Garrett. Yes. No, no, sorry about that. I should have had that earlier. Different strokes. Yeah. Should, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. You're like, what are we what are we talking about, Willis? <laughs> what you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Right. And and it's so sad about that show. All the kids, you know, they they got into trouble. You know, uh, Dana Plato, the the girl on. Uh, you know the facts of, or the different strokes. She died of a terrible drug overdose. Very sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it a lot is of child sad. actors do have a lot of problems. Danny Bonaducci, uh, Johnny Whitaker, um, and many others. So you don't see it as quite, or maybe it's just not. Uh, maybe it's publicized. not as prevalent now as it once was. Yeah, I wonder if it's because it's not publicized as much. Because we know, because if we. Uh, publicize it and we bring it forward to uh, an audience 
that it's only going to exacerbate the problem and, and lead to even more destructive behavior. Yeah, it could be. That's that's a good topic for another show. But let me get real back, right back to uh, talk about rock and roll stars. The re- you know what I found that really gets them is that you you find some esoteric piece of information about them. You bring it up to them in such a way that they have to answer it. it it's not like a uh, you're not like putting them under the heat lamp, but you ask them a question they never expected you to know about them. That opens that door that opens up other doors so you can keep that going and they don't expect that it's so funny to me watching a musician try and like not answer but answer all the same you know like right. they're trying to talk their way around it and they're really bad at it right and so well, they're uncomfortable with it that's the problem yeah, or sometimes their answer is just yes yeah and then they give this long pause of awkwardness to thinking like you can expound on any of that and then they don't well, sometimes they don't know how to. They, they assume that you know what they know, or other people know what they know, and they don't realize that people don't know. That's why you're on the show. Right. Because they want to know, like, what makes you tick. How do you go, like I asked um, a musician, when you get on stage, what are some of the things that go through your head that keep your, your mind fresh so you can get into that groove quicker? You know, those are the type of things that I want to know. What, what, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? When you hear something, uh, an instrument, I don't hear the same thing you hear. Right. You're listening to it differently than I am. And, w- and what is that that you're hearing? And what, you know, you hear a, a song on the radio that's not yours. Are you listening to uh, the production value? Are you listening for certain instruments? What do you hear that, w- that we as laymans don't understand? I forget the name of the musician, but one time his answer to that question was, uh, I, I like to uh, write music in colors. Which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, you know, you don't use colors. You use notes, and you use a mu- like you use an instrument. Right. You don't use colors. You're not a painter. <laughs> it's such an obscure way to answer a question. And I felt like the guy was just trying to be an asshole for the sake of being an asshole. And, you know, sometimes you get those answers. Some of my favorite interviews are, are Bob Dylan, when he's just, like, so fed up with the press and giving him these, like, really weird uh Cryptic answers. Yes, it was the he was the king of it. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was the man when it came to cryptic answers. Sarcasm. Yes. And it's another thing is when you're interviewing people, you have to win them over in a sense where they know that you're you're good at what you do and you're serious. And, and yeah. You're, and you're not you're not some idiot just with with a microphone. And if you could show them that you've done your homework and you care about what you're you care about them and what you're talking about, then you usually get them to relax a little bit more. And that's difficult. Do you, I mean, it also depends on the, the musician too. Like, do you generally do you generally uh, find that most musicians want you to know as much about them as they know about them? It depends on the era, but I, I they want you to know they want you to know enough about them where your questions aren't like something you got out of a somebody gave you these questions. You actually read about them. You understand that. This, this person was their producer. He was in these bands. This was their first song. And then, you know, I, I, I try, to, try to do that. I try to find the first group he was in, or she, and figure out how, do, how can I tie an interesting question to that where he or she isn't expecting me to know this or be aware of it that led to this, this, and this. And if you do that, I find that that really works for me. Um, but sometimes they are, you can just tell that they don't want to be there. 
So I try to make it as short and sweet as I can without, if you draw out an interview, 20 minutes where somebody doesn't want to be there, it's, it's very hard. Yeah. I make those eight, seven to 10 minutes at the most. And then I just go, okay, thank you so much for being here. And we enjoyed the, you know, I do the one, one of those, you know, it's like a polite way of saying, you have a nice day. The only musician I've ever heard be like very entertaining and well thought out was Bruce Springsteen on a podcast. That guy can stream consciousness and he's got a lot to say. Yeah. Well, the other one was, uh, the other one that I know of like that is uh, Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Brilliant. He's, he's Mensa. He's just uh, got an IQ of like 160. Absol- really? Absolutely brilliant, man. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Um, an- another one was a um, very interesting man, Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills, Nash. Oh. And yeah. of the Hollies. Yeah, he, he was also very interesting. I don't think we have that today as much as I wish we did. No. Uh, maybe Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is uh, he's he's a rap artist. If you're not familiar, oh, yeah, I know who he is. Uh, the one thing I love about Kendrick Lamar is the fact that he can be uh, both commercially um, palatable and there's a lot of substance to what he's saying too. Yeah. So if you want to take it at face value, sure, you can enjoy yourself, you can have fun with it. But if you really want to dive deep into what he's trying to, or the ideas he's trying to convey, those ideas and that in, that uh, that message is there. Yeah. And hearing him talk about his life experiences or his uh, take on his worldview is real. Is a lot of fun to listen to. And uh, that's what's great about podcasts. There's so many different things that you can go into. And if, if you start to do it and something's working, you kind of can continue on and just build on that. And one of the best podcasts I, I ever had a, uh, was part of was a game podcast. We would uh, talk about different games. Oh, that's cool. I have a guy that wrote a book, How to Host a Game Night. His name is Eric Arneson. Amazing. Because he, he talked about games that were for people over 50 and people under 50. Everybody's involved. Different, complex, simple, anything. This way, if you want to have a game night and you have younger kids, here's a game for you. That's not Monopoly or something. Something you may not have heard before. There's so many new games coming out, and he's... And it's such so interesting because, hey, we're in a mood for a game. Let's nah, we played Risk before. Let's do this. So for that reason, it's it's a it's an interesting thing. Yeah, authors like, and academics are some of my favorite people to talk to because they can be funny in a way where they're not trying to force it. Where some comedians, you can just kind of tell that they're being just on, and it which makes it almost feel on a unauthentic or a phony. And authors and academics have a way of uh, just being in the moment and being comedy in a in a very flawless, uh, a very profound, uh, a very natural way. Yes, I agree with you. This is Worst to First. I'm Ray Carr. And I'm Jeremy Demery. And we had a good time. This is the pilot episode, and we're going to say goodbye for now, and we'll see you very soon. Thank you.